0: Spurgeon is good at introductions. Some of them are shorter, some of them are longer, but all of them are are engaging. He's sometimes straight in, goes for the jugular. Sometimes he plunges straight into the text. Sometimes he explores an idea in the text. In this particular sermon that we're looking at today, he starts off by saying that there's a great deal of wealth hidden in a very small volume in portions of the scripture. That as diamonds have much value in little space, so who can measure the depth of a sentence like God is love or God is light? Who shall know the lengths and breadths of this declaration? Christ is all. How clearly is the whole gospel condensed into that line, by grace are you saved? That introduces his text on this occasion from John 14 and verse 6, and not even the whole of it, really, but I am the way. I am the way in a sermon entitled simply the way that was preached on the morning of July the 24th, a Lord's Day in 1870 at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And as we work our way through the sermons of Charles Spurgeon, this is the one that we've reached today in the week as a whole, 941 to 947. Follow us on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon. Our featured sermon Nine four two, And please drop in at mediagratii.org slash podcasts and find a weekly newsletter, including a link to the week's featured sermon, a representative sample of the ministry of the Prince of Preachers. My name is Jeremy Walker. I'm the pastor of Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crawley in West Sussex in the south of England, and uh, Gratiae, the producers of this podcast. And we do very much hope that you'll enjoy this, that you'll go to Mediagratiae to find other sermons and uh, other devotions including my word in season devotions and john Snyder's the whole council podcast and that if you'd be kind enough to uh, subscribe or even better to write a review on your favorite podcast app that will be a real help to us especially if you live outside the united states i'm informed by the friends at media gratii that it makes a great deal of difference but Spurgeon's introduction is short. We mustn't be diverted by other things. Let's plunge into the text with him as we consider in the first place how Jesus Christ is the way and how he comes to be the way. How he is the way? Well, a way, says Spurgeon, supposes two points, from which and to which. So Christ is the way from man's ruin to the Father. He is the way that leads from the city of destruction to the celestial city from the ruin of our father Adam right up to the glory of our father who is in heaven. Christ is the way then first from the guilt of sin to the father. There is no way by which a sinner can escape from the guilt of sin but that which is revealed in Jesus Christ. Spurge is very simple here. There's nothing uh, extravagantly difficult at least in terms of uh, intellectual grasp, nothing that is complex in terms of language. He's going straight, uh, straightforwardly towards these things. Here is the way for that sinner to approach the father. His sin is laid upon Christ, who became the substitute for all sinners that ever have believed or ever shall believe on him, and he himself is clear. The whole mountain mass of the sins of believers lies not on them any longer, but on Christ. He has taken their transgressions, he has borne their iniquities, their sins are moved from them and laid on him. It's splendidly simple, it's superbly straightforward, it's a model of explaining the good news concerning Christ in brief, uh, brief sentences, in short words, it's straightforward vocabulary. So sinner, says Spurgeon, if you would get away from your sin, Christ is the way. This is the way by which you can escape from it. Sinners we are in ourselves, but not sinners before God's judgment seat, if Jesus has made us clean. We are then whiter than snow, our sins being removed from us as far as the east is from the west by our great atoning substitute. Here then is a way consistent with divine justice of removing the guilt of sin, a way exactly meeting what you need. So there's this theological or doctrinal accuracy, a depth of understanding clearly communicated with this warm personal application. But I am the way is as true concerning the wrath of God on account of sins, the guilt of sin before God. When the sin of God's people was moved from them to Christ, the wrath of God went where the sin went, And it fell upon Christ until he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when the bitter cup of wrath had been drained to its dregs, it was emptied forever, and not one drop was left for a believing soul to taste. So if sin is taken by Christ, then so is wrath taken by Christ. And he is the way by which sin is removed, the guilt of it, and the wrath that it deserves. But Spurgeon goes on, that the Lord in dealing with us and making us to see sin often brings upon us then a deep and terrible depression of spirit when we begin to reckon accurately with that sin. Sin, as soon as it is really felt in the soul to be sin, says Spurgeon, kills us, it blasts our former hopes, it crushes our pride, it lays us like bruised and mangled things before the burning throne of justice. Our preacher tells us, I know a truly awakened conscience never will believe in the pardon of sin without atonement first made. But when you hear that atonement has been made, that Christ suffered instead of you, that his death has glorified the justice of God more than your lying in hell could have glorified him, that his atonement is to God's injured law a better vindication than even your eternal destruction, do you not see it? Do you not lay hold on it? And doth not your heart leap at the sound of this glorious gospel of the blessed God? Christ is the way then out of the guilt of your sin, out of the wrath of God for your sin and out of your sense of that wrath. But more so, Christ is the way to escape from the power of sin. Your sinfulness is such that you cannot cease from sin, says Spurgeon, but there is power above and beyond you which can deliver you from the power of sin and make you holy. It is found in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus as I have preached him to you this day. He wants us to enter into his own experience, and this is how he describes it. Whenever I feel that I have sinned and desire to overcome that sin for the future, the devil at the same time comes to me and whispers, How can you be a pardoned person and accepted with God while you sin in this way? If I listen to this, I drop into despondency, and if I continued in that state, I should fall into despair and should commit sin more frequently than before. But God's grace comes in and says to my soul, You have sinned, but did not Jesus come to save sinners? You are not saved because you are righteous, for Christ died for the ungodly. And my faith says, though I have sinned, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And though I am guilty, yet by grace I am saved, and I am a child of God still. And what then? Why, then the tears begin to flow, and I say, how could I ever sin against my God who is so good to me? Now I will overcome that sin." and I get strong to fight with sin through the conviction that I am God's child. Doubts and fears and the thought that God is angry only drive you further into sin, but the faith which in the teeth of sin yet believes in God's love and still believes in the perfect pardon Christ has given, which God himself can never take back again, that holy faith which still clings to the cross with, if I perish, I perish, but to this atoning sacrifice I cling, that faith, I say, makes you strong against sin. Now, Spurgeon is is typically fairly careful with his self-references in sermons. He doesn't just tell stories about himself, but he is happy to use himself as an example of the grace of God and of his own peace and joy in believing. He says, This is then walking under a sense of divine love as manifest in Christ, walking with the full conviction of pardon through the blood that brings to us freedom from the reigning power of sin. But it's not only deliverance from. Christ is not just the way to escape from sin. It's guilt, it's wrath, it's fear and it's power. But it's also a way to who or what? First of all, the Father. Earth is not broad enough, says Spurgeon, to reflect the image of God. He does not mirror himself in the sea. It's a glass too small to show the deity. He cannot reveal his whole glory in the materialism of this poor world of ours. Its axles would groan and crack beneath the weight of deity. It is in Christ that Jehovah reveals himself more fully than in all nature. Though you summon sun, moon and stars and read all their hieroglyphs, God is revealed in Christ in a way in which he cannot be in anything of time or of space. So to get your best apprehensions of the Father, you must come through the Son. And it is only by Christ then that we realize the fatherhood of God. It is only in and through Christ by that way that we truly can come to the Father. And so says Spurgeon that we have Jesus as the way to conscious acceptance with the Father that if you're under conviction of sin, if you feel distressed and grieved, that when you come to the cross and see Christ dying there as a substitute for you and for all who trust him, then you trust him and your sins on him are, are taken away and you're not only pardoned but accepted before God. So the gift of Christ to us is a full proof of divine love and wherever it's received it is the proof of God's love to the receiver. Then the way to have communion with the Father is by Christ. You do talk with God when you draw near in Jesus Christ. Your conviction that all your sin is put away through him, that you are accepted through him, that you live in him as the member lives in the body, that he is your covenant head, and that his honors and glories are all reflected upon you. This assured belief brings you so near to God that as a man speaks with his friend, even so do you commune with him. Also, Jesus is the way by which we come to resemble the Father. There is no way to get the likeness of the Father except by learning God's love in the person of his Son. Sir Spurgeon, I do believe, dear brothers, that the moment we forget Christ and then seek after personal sanctification, we are trying to get to our journey's end by declining to tread the road to it. It is, at least I find it so, impossible to grow in grace except by abiding evermore at the foot of the cross. When I know by faith not by any other evidence than by faith that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. When I see grace magnified in sin laid on him rather than on me and see justice magnified in that sin being put away by him, and when I see grace and justice together clasping hands in solemn covenant to secure my soul against all fear of risk, then i feel that i am master over sin then i feel my soul loves god yearns after god mounts up to god and then it is she becomes more like god than she was before this then is the way that christ is a way for us a way from the wrath of god away from the guilt of sin away from the the fear of sin, the power of sin, and a way truly to come to God, to be accepted with him, to enjoy communion with him, and to be made like him. But, says Spurgeon, what sort of way is Christ, and for what sort of people? Well, he says he is the king's highway, and that means he's the divinely appointed way from sin to the father. Now, a little bit sneaky here that Spurgeon, with his uh, exegesis, if we're going to call it that, is that, while it's true that Jesus is the appointed way, Spurgeon isn't getting that so much from the text. He's drawing it in uh, from the language of Isaiah. So it's, it's not that he's saying something that isn't true, but he's drawing it in from another divinely inspired source in order to uh, fill out, if you will, his text Uh, to drive at the the point that he's trying to make, to appeal to us to come to God by way of Jesus Christ. Now, my my point is that that's not utterly illegitimate. Uh, My point isn't that every preacher should do it, but I think it's interesting the way Spurgeon, uh, with this holistic view of Scripture, understanding how the, the whole holds together, is able and willing to draw in these other elements to shed light on a particular text So uh, even though he's just got this, I am the way as his text, actually he's drawing truths from across scripture in order to, uh, to make the most of that. So he says, Christ is the divinely appointed way. Oh God, if you can look at Jesus and be well pleased in him, surely I can. If you are perfectly content with the sufferings and death of your dear son, surely I may be. And so as the king's highway, it is an open way. I can come to it and ask no man's leave. I'm treading the king's highway. It's also a perfect way. Where are you? Up to your throat in drunkenness? Where are you? Defiled by evil living? Soul, there is a road from where you are right up to the immaculate perfection of the blessed at God's right hand. And that road is Christ. So now he's beginning to press it into our consciousness. Wherever you may be, however sunk in sin, Christ is the way, the perfect way by which you may truly come to God. Good works, he says, are not the way to heaven in whole or in part. They are fruits of salvation. They are the sure products of those who are saved. But they do not in themselves save a man. A faith that produces no works will never save anybody. But that which saves men is not the work which comes from the faith, but the faith itself, the faith in Jesus Christ. It's one of the things he he drums home again and again. It must be all Christ or no Christ, all mercy or no mercy. You cannot mix anything in with the mercy of God in Christ. Grace must lay the foundation, grace must put on the top stone, or there can be no salvation. So you have him as the king's highway, you have him as the perfect way, and you have him as a free way. There are no legal conditions of salvation laid down anywhere. I know, he says, it's sometimes said that repentance and faith are conditions, and from one point of view and in one aspect, I might tolerate the term. But truly and really there's no bargain made anywhere between God and the sinner. It is never you do this and I will do that. It is always I will do this for you and then you shall believe and repent as the result. If faith be in one respect a condition it is in another respect a gift of God and though we are commanded to repent yet Jesus is exalted on high to give repentance. He tells us it it does sometimes seem too big to be true that all for nothing and I, a great sinner, shall be saved. But when I think of what the Savior is, that he is God, that he came from heaven and became a man for my sake, that he, the God-man Emmanuel, was born and died and born the wrath of God, I can believe it. And, O my Lord, I dare no more add any of my driveling merits to the worth of thy dear son than of stitching some foul-infected rags from a dunghill to a garment made of wrought gold. How could I put any nothingness of mine that only my folly calls anything side by side with the ever-precious merits of your dear son? It must then be a free way." And now he goes on. It's a permanent way. It's classic Spurgeon and it's, it's quite Puritan as well. We know it's a way. What kind of way is it? Let's look at other portions of God's word. Let's think about what it means to have Jesus as the way and then taking these sort of sparks of biblical illumination and, and making them just these quick and, and punchy points along the way again if we're preachers it's a very instructive mode when we think about these simple declarations in the word of god if if this is true what what is what is it about this way that makes it so wonderful what is it about christ as the way that we need to take account of and you can do it with with other things if christ is the way christ is also the truth you might say well what kind of truth is he well we could say he's divinely appointed truth. He's enduring truth. He's saving truth. You, you sort of see the way that you can just meditate upon these notions and it, it spins out in your mind, these beauties and these glories. But he's a permanent way, not just a way for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob only, not just for the apostles and martyrs and early saints, but for all who will come to him in any age. Let me add, he says, it's a joyful way. Where there is no sin, there's no sorrow. And when the believer knows that he has no sin, for it's put away in Christ, then also he has no sorrow. But his peace is like a river, because his righteousness is as the waves of the sea. So, dear heart, if you would be happy, come unto Christ and abide with him. And lastly, he is the only way. There is no other way, exclusively and only Christ. Have you come to him then? Because every other way imagined or supposed will end in disappointment and in ruin. It must only be Christ. But for what kind of people is this way made? It is for all sorts of people, says Spurgeon. Christ is the way to heaven for anybody and everybody who's led to walk therein. Christ is the way to heaven for thee, poor wanderer, though thou hast sought the theatre and music hall and worse places to drive away your melancholy. Come to Jesus, for he is the way to peace, the very way for a wanderer like you. Christ is the way for captives. If your chains are clanking about you, come to Christ and he can make you free. Christ is the way for the poorest of the poor you who are lowest of the low vilest of the vile you who are all but in hell and are condemned already you who lie at hell's dark door bound in affliction and iron shut out from mercy as you think Christ is the way for you for all who long to escape from sin for all who had come to God for all who have a desire after mercy or eternal life and now the last point how we make Christ our way and whether he is our way now. And again, perhaps we have to pause and say, it's, it's not the most eloquent of, of divisions. It's not the most uh, clear of structures. I mean, if we work through those headings, and you notice that Spurgeon didn't announce them, perhaps as he sometimes does, how Jesus Christ is the way and how he comes to be so. What sort of way is Christ and for what sort of people? And then, how we make Christ our way, and whether he is our way now, now, I can only imagine that if you were in a homiletics class in in a seminary somewhere and you tried to uh, to stand up and produce this as your sermon that uh, quite a few of those who might be listening to you and giving you some counsel would say well look this this is just a little bit overly simple it's a little bit clumsy i don't really hold together it doesn't make the greatest deal of sense but Spurgeon is is seeking to plead with souls and there's a virtue in that in itself and it's a good reminder that even a man who's renowned for his eloquence like Spurgeon isn't necessarily always speaking with the tongues of angels that sometimes there are points you sort of even read this sermon and you go well that's not even as good as what you do on Sunday Yeah, there may be preachers listening who go I think I could come up with better points than that. And I think we need to say, yes, but do we have, first of all, the heart that Spurgeon had? And then do we have the blessing that Spurgeon knew? God, in his mercy, was pleased to make this simple sermon a means of grace to many souls. And that is his prerogative. And that actually should comfort us. Because if we may, on occasion, preach a sermon with with cleverer or clearer sermon headings than Spurgeon uses... Let's not imagine that it's our wit and wisdom that makes it worthwhile. And at the same time, if we usually preach something that we walk out of the pulpit thinking is is, is dull and poor, then God is pleased even to use those things to make a blessing. But with that aside, how do we make Christ our way? And is he our way now? How do we make Christ our way? Simply by going to him. In believing you do what that gospel warrants by its command, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's God's word. You certainly have a right to do what God commands you to do so that your right to trust Christ lies simply in God's command. He says he will save you through what Christ has done. Will you believe him? Will you believe him so as to trust today in what Christ has done? If you do not, you make God a liar. If you do, you glorify God by believing his testimony and you glorify his son by trusting in his work. And you are saved. Now, in order to keep the way your own, all you need to do is to continue in it. Having come to Christ, you go with Christ. Because Jesus lives, you live also, not because of anything you do. The just shall live by faith, not by any other means. You are not to begin in the spirit and then be made perfect in the flesh. You're not to begin to walk by confidence in Christ and afterwards go on to walk by confidence in your own evidences and graces. No, your evidences and graces will always shine best when you think the least of them, and always will be brightest with God when you look most at his dear Son and not at them. Still a sinner, but still washed in the blood then, still in myself guilty, but no guilt of mine imputed to me, all laid on my substitute. Still my best prayers, my best hymns, my almsgivings, my preachings, my all, all defiled but yet I am clean through him that washes my feet and makes me clean in his most precious blood. Spurgeon says we might have been troubling ourselves a great deal before about marks and evidences and so on, but when it comes to the last, we're like the good man who, on his dying bed, tried to pick out what was good and what was bad of his own doings, but he said he was a long while judging them, but they were so much of a muchness that at last he tied them all up in one bundle and flung them over and rested on Christ alone. And so the question to finish must be this. Is Christ my way today? Oh, says Spurgeon, I know many of you could rise up and say, Yes, he is. He is all my salvation and all my desire. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. My God, you know all things. You know my soul's only reliance is on your dying. Your risen, though ever-living Son, who is my hope and my all. And then he asks, Are there some here not in this way because they don't even know it? Here's an interesting comment. I believe there is no doctrine so little known in England as the gospel. While a great many doctrines are preached and very properly so, and the precepts are preached, yet there are hearers who have heard for years and yet do not know this fundamental, essential doctrine of the gospel, that God laid sin on Christ that he might take sin off from us And punished him that he might be just and yet the justifier of the ungodly. And then he says there are some who do not believe this plan to be divine. When they hear it and understand it they scout it. Some will say it's inconsistent with the pursuit of morality. Others will say it's fantastic or unjust. One will say this and another that. But though the cross of Christ be to them that perish foolishness. To us who are saved it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And God forbid we should preach any other gospel to you. Not long ago, I was on the the street uh, knocking on doors trying to tell people about the Lord Jesus. And and Spurgeon has just described my painful experience. Uh, A thoughtful man. He'd read at least portions of the Bible. Uh, He was... Uh, quite philosophical in his outlook, quite intellectual in many respects, and he was uh, ready to chew things over and to talk about things on the on the door. Uh, we spoke about Christ at some length, and when we came to the atoning sacrifice, he found it uh, obnoxious to human reason and unjust in human opinion. He couldn't see the mercy and the justice of God being just and the justifier of the one who puts his faith in jesus christ and to such spurgeon would say as i, as I hope you would in the similar such situation oh cast not your soul away out of mere hate to god but kiss him whom god has made king this day and trust in him who is priest for ever after the order of melchizedek to put away the sin of man by his own great sacrifice. Come now to him, and take the atonement and the peace which he brings. Some are not saved because they are too fearful to come this way, and to such I would speak very gently. The bruised reed he will not break, the smoking flax he will not quench. Let not your sense of sin make you think little of my master. You are a great sinner, but he is a greater saviour. And you see now how Spurgeon is turning this truth that Christ is the way from sin and to God in these various ways and applying it to different characters. Think of David, he pleads, how foully he had transgressed, yet with all the lust stains and the murder spots upon him, he had faith enough to say, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There in Psalm 51. And so shall you be, says Spurgeon, whiter than snow in your spirit when once the bloody sacrifice of Christ in all its merit has become yours as it may this very morning if you simply trust in him. So yes, it may not be the most polished of sermons. Yes, it may not have the most eloquent of headings. Yes, it may be uh, at times this uh, spinning out, I don't mean that negatively, of the these different aspects of what it means for Christ to be the way, but it is heartfelt. It is earnest. It's Spurgeon pleading from his soul that men and women should come to Christ for salvation. And it's that burning appetite, I think, that really comes across. The preacher shows his talent for this, uh, drawing near to people, speaking almost eyeball to eyeball. He knows how to not only uh, develop these themes, but how to summarize them and press them in. And, And as so often, we say, well, it's not a spectacular sermon, and yet it is so full of Jesus Christ, and it is he, then, that we need to learn to hold forth. I hope that's been of some encouragement and some blessing, that even its its simplicity and its straightforwardness has done your soul some good. And I trust you'll join us again next time, God willing, for A String of Pearls, which is Sermon 948, and that you'll read with us next week through sermon 948 to 954, that you'll follow this podcast, that you'll tell others about it, and that it may be a blessing to many as the the Prince of Preachers continues to give to us fresh insights and a deeper love for the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus himself. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope to be with you again. God bless.